Welcome to Lame Stream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on the Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me on Twitter at Scavendish. If you like this show, you can rate, you can review, you can subscribe, and you can smash that subscribe button. I also think you should tell someone about it. It should be like the it should be like the old suave shampoo commercials. You should tell two friends, and they should tell two friends, and so on, and so on, and so on. Uh, this week's 80s reference brought to you by S. Cavendish on Twitter. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> Last week, I believe it was Laverne Shirley. <laughs> hey, look, if we want to do if we want to do like old commercial slogans all day, let's go. All right, we can do it. There's, there's a few of them that are brilliant, actually. If, if advertising was as good as it used to be, we might not. The media ecosystem might not be broken. Um, anyway, uh, Scott Corley is our guest on the show today. And I don't know about you, Steve, the athletic director for Belmont, of course. They announced they are leaving the OVC and heading to the Missouri Valley Conference. We are going to dive into every single possible detail about that decision, how it happens, how you keep it secret, why they make the decision, all that kind of stuff. I don't know about you, but it is the most catnippy of catnip for me as a college sports sort of media person for most of my career. The subject I love more than everything else in the history of my job is conference realignment. I, I, I do not understand. a sick man. I know. I don't know why, but the inner workings of how those decisions are made are utterly fascinating to me. And Scott is going to do a wonderful job explaining how that all happens. Somebody once told me that conference realignment to them was like like high school recruiting, but at like the at like the collegiate level, and, and that that like all of the stuff, all, all the stuff that you liked about recruiting news is what you like about conference real conference realignment news. Like all the you know wh- where are they going to choose? What goes into the decision? What are the uh, are we getting a five star? Are we getting a three star who may play up? It's it's ve- and I actually said this to him. Um, I, it, it is very much like high school prom. Like Texas and Oklahoma and the SEC, they had to like look at each other across the across the lunchroom and be like, so if I ask you, are you, are you going to say yes? Well, but if you ask me, I'm definitely going to say yes. Like it's it's very much how it works. And I find it utterly fascinating. And Scott will do a brilliant job explaining the entire process. But before we do that, Steve, of course, ratings, ratings and recommendations coming up after the interview. Before we do that, Steve, Lamestream Sports is brought to you by. It's brought to you by the good people at Jasper's. They, they definitely wouldn't hire bad people or mean people. It's always good people. Just like the parking is always free. The food is always spectacular. The happy hours are always happy. Jasper's on West End. It's where you should go to, you know, have a business lunch after work for cocktail hour, watch a game. Maybe don't stay for a stoppage time goal, whatever, you know. <laughs> go, to, go to Jasper's and leave. That's, that feels a little specific. <laughs> I can't imagine what I could be refer- referring to. Um, so go to Jasper's. It's a great place to go eat, right? Absolutely. Awesome. Great place to eat. We love Jasper's. Yes, we do love Jasper's. All right. Ratings and recommendations coming up in a little while, but, uh, this was our conversation with athletic director for Belmont, Scott Corley. Scott, good to see you. Congratulations. Uh, welcome to the show and obviously the huge news this week on on joining the Missouri Valley Conference. Uh, just real quickly, how many interviews are you going to do this week, you think? <laughs> uh, you know, it's been a busy couple days, but uh, that's the fun part of it. Uh, it's it's big news. It's historic news. So, uh, And we're just glad people are as excited about it as we are. And uh, the, the response has been so overwhelmingly positive. I, I can do these all week if, if people <laughs> want to talk about it. So it's, it's been great. Scott, the uh, let's let's talk about just sort of the the, the impetus uh, to, to look around. Um, you know, there have been some defections from the OVC here, mainly football based. Back to the ASUN. Uh, at what point did did it start? Did you guys start having internal conversations about this? This might not be as the conference might not be stable over the long term. Well, you know. I would say that was certainly part of conversations we were having, uh, Steve, where it really kind of picked up, you know, we got a new president that started on June 1st, Greg Jones, and, you know, he joined us from, you know, he was a Dean of the Duke Divinity School. And so he's, 
kind of figuring out things and, and being on some OBC membership calls and the like. And, uh, and Greg not really having a history with the OVC, uh, you know, would certainly ask, you know, my opinion uh, on things. But, but he was also getting calls, getting calls from the Missouri Valley and, and some other conferences just to see if there's any interest. And historically, we haven't expressed much interest in moving. You know, the OVC was a great spot for us. Dr. Fisher uh, really liked a lot of the, the things that the OVC provided us. I did as well. Um, but look, let's be honest. I mean, certain you lose two schools in Jacksonville State and EKU that were, uh, you know, they invested in sports and, and they were good in a lot of different sports. Um, and all e- EKU the- in particular has been a, has been a, a really big kind of game, set of games for Belmont over the last few years. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, they're a good program um, and, and getting better in basketball. You know, they were really good last year, to your point. Um, and so with that and just all the noise you were hearing about conference affiliation that started with Texas, Oklahoma, you know, any AD and any president, you know, that's I think it's part of our job. You got to you got to see what's out there. You, you got to at least listen and understand and have a contingency plan. Um, and, and at the end of the day, we all look out what's best for our universities because <laughs> we're just a part of the university, right, as an athletic department. And, and so that was the approach that, that Greg and I had, really. And, and Greg was asking a lot of questions. And so, so it's got to start there. These decisions are really board-driven presidential driven with input from ADs and our job as AD is to do a lot of the due diligence, you know, look at the options and and express an opinion. And so, so we did that. Um, You know, the Missouri Valley though was really attractive. So even if the Austin P announcement doesn't happen, I think there was a there was still a lot of interest for us on what the Missouri Valley meant. as we're trying to aspire as a university, particularly under new leadership, asking us to think bigger. We had the Crockett Center, you know, our new practice facility, which is $25 million state of the art that allows us to dream bigger. And so we had a lot of those factors still going on. What I would tell you is what, what accelerated the discussions with the Missouri Valley was certainly when Austin P announced that they were leaving. So it's, it's all in it. It all factors. Um, but I would still tell you, it's more about the opportunity to aspire, to get into different markets, to play at a higher level conference than it was with, with the turbulence that's going on in the OVC. So I think, cause I, I I'm fascinated with sort of the anatomy of the decision-making process itself you know, knowing about the big public school like a Texas where you've got a, a giant board and an entire university system and you've got all these different moving parts that all have to sort of keep their mouth shut about something like going to the SEC. You guys are certainly in a very different situation and I want to get into that. But you sort of just landed there at the end with the prestige of the Missouri Valley Basketball Conference being what it is with their history in the NCAA tournament, your desire and to get a you know, a path to at-large bids to the NCAA tournament and obviously hopefully increased revenue. Like, is are, are there other factors outside of those that, that you as just the athletic opinion have to factor in? Like, what else goes into your decision from an athletic standpoint other than just those obvious ones? Well, you definitely have to look at the cost. What, what's the increased travel cost uh, relative to the increased revenue opportunities? You, you do have to factor in, you know, class time being missed, you know, that's a, that's an important part of our culture is the academics and the academic achievement. So you don't just want to dismiss that uh, as part of the conversation. Uh, So, so those are things you want to make sure, you know, are our student athletes going to start missing, you know, three times the amount of class and and how does that, how, how do you weigh that against the opportunity that the Missouri Valley provides but you know you're going to have to go to Iowa twice a year, you know, that, those kind of things. So that's part of it. And then just what's the cost? Um, what's the cost of that? How are we going to support the cost? Because you really are making a long-term decision, though. So, so I think while cost is a, is a, is a piece of it, um, there's, there's some one-time costs for sure. 
when you leave a conference and then join a new conference, uh, those things you got to factor into it and, 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 and make sure the board and make sure that the key decision makers above understand that and are comfortable with that. What, what's your penalty fee with the OVC? I think I can share that. Uh, you know, um, you know, we're going to, we're going to adhere to the bylaws and with us leaving in one year, it's a million dollars. I think that's been public with the Jacksonville state EKU situation um, that that's been out there. So if not, you didn't hear it from me. (laughs) You know, it's an interesting, it's an interesting situation here because the OVC is is headquartered here in Nashville or at least in Brentwood. Um, Is there any pull to, because is there any pull because they're local and because they're, they're so close or, is this is this really kind of a, a larger athletic decision? Yeah, I mean, you know, what I've been saying, and, and, and I really mean it, I mean, we've enjoyed our nine years going on 10 in the OVC. It's been a great league for us. Um, I have a, the utmost respect for Commissioner Beth DeBush. Uh, you know, being in the same city, there's, you know, there are some benefits where just you, you, you can visit with the commissioner more easily and have conversations. But you know, what we tried to do all along is, is be respectful, do it with integrity. Um, you know, I, obviously we couldn't be open and honest, all, not, not honest. We just couldn't be, hey, we're, we're making this move until we knew we were making the move. And so that was a hard phone call because there's a lot of good people in the OVC and we have a lot of respect for them. And we understood what this announcement could mean to the OVC and we wanted to be respectful of that. I think the OVC is going to be fine. I think, I know they're working hard to find members to come in. And, um, but at the end of the day, Steve, to get back to your, I think where you're going with the question is we've got to do what we think is best for Belmont university um, and Belmont athletics within the university. And I, I think when you, anybody who can look at it, um, you know, objectively, sees why this makes sense for us once once you guys put yourself in play uh what what other what were the other options besides the valley you know i'm not really going to go into that you know we we were focused primarily on the valley and they were focused primarily on us and that's part of why it moved so quickly as well so we didn't really i'm not going to sit here and say we entertained a whole lot of alternatives because that was to us made the most sense as we kind of looked at the landscape. And so uh, we got locked in pretty, pretty quickly with them and, and they got locked in pretty quickly with us. When uh, one of the, one of the things that uh, you guys have been playing, I think soccer in the Southern conference here for the last couple of years, uh, did that give you, uh, did that give you an idea about costs and, uh, and, and kind of a different region and what it would take to, to operate outside of the OVC footprint? Yeah, certainly a, a little bit, you know, understanding uh, how far does it make sense to take a bus trip versus flying, you know, those types of things. We've got experience. I mean, before we were in the SOCON, men's soccer was in the horizon. And we actually were in the Missouri Valley as an affiliate for one year. That was before me. But, uh, you know, and think about it. When we were in the Atlantic Sun, we were flying to Florida. I mean, we were playing in a lot of different markets. That So we have a history and we know um, – you know, what the, um, the impact on making that type of change would be from a travel perspective. And then what you really try to do is you look at the Missouri Valley schools and you determine, okay, which ones are going to be bussable, which ones are going to, you're going to have to fly. What does that look like? Uh, what airport will you fly into? In some cases, you got to fly into an airport and bus still two hours. So you've got a sense of what, uh, you, you know, you try to ballpark it and, and, um, and get a general sense, knowing, you know, whatever the cost is, you, you got to factor into, okay, if I were to go into the Chicago market and advertise for Belmont University to got it to get more students, what would that cost? In a lot of ways, you know, what we're doing is helping get us into the, and I, I say the Chicago market, that's just the obvious one, because that's the largest one. But by us playing games against Loyola and the other Missouri Valley teams, and it's on TV in the Chicago market, they're going to get impressions of Belmont that may cost the same amount 
if you did billboards and you did, you know, just advertising in those markets. So uh, th- that's some of the, what also goes into the business analysis. Well, and and the flip side of that is, of course, they all get to bring all of their brands into the into the South, into the Nashville market. Um, and my, my parents are both Valpo grads. I'll just put that out there. Uh, right. they're, they're both Valpo grads. So they're excited about getting to see their alma mater come into town now uh, a little bit more often. You guys get to recruit those areas as well. You, you talked about having to make the phone call to the OVC, and that was a tough, a tough thing to do and sort of how fast the process was. We certainly saw it play out very publicly with the Texas and the Oklahoma thing in the middle of SEC media days with all this other nonsense going on. Can you try to explain, because it's, it's not all that dissimilar from hiring a, a coach where you have to keep it small, you have to keep the information tight, you have to have limited conversations with small groups of people. So can you try to explain, and again, I'm not trying to give, give away state secrets here, but can you try to explain how the conversation starts, who has to be involved in that conversation, and then how the conversation comes to a resolution before you call the OVC? Yeah, no, uh, I'll, I'll try to do the best I can. Um in our situation, and I think this is fairly common, um, I know the commissioner reached out to our new president. And so, again, these are presidential decisions. That's usually the first place to start. You can you can obviously, a lot of commissioners will call ADs just to try to get a feel for, you know, is this really likely or not? But um, it's, it's best to start at the presidential level because that's where it's ultimately going to, either either continue or stop right there. Then what typically happens is obviously in our case, we've got a, we're pretty nimble being private and our board structure is such where we don't have 60 board members like a Texas A&M or Texas might have. So we were able to kind of just, you know, run it by our board chair, which I think is pretty common. That's where you first start um, and just get his, his or her pulse. In our case, it's Milton Johnson. So he and 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 bring him up to speed on here's what the valley brings, here's what the OVC brings, all those things. Then what typically happens is most conferences have presidents that are on a membership committee. And that could be three or four presidents out of 10. I think the Missouri Valley has four presidents on their membership expansion committee. And so Obviously, they're intimately involved with having conversations with the commissioner, identifying schools that they're interested in and reaching out to. Um, in this case, when the conversation got to the point, we invited or they they asked and we obviously accepted for them to come visit. You know, I think they got to see the facility, spend some time with us, do all that, which we did as quietly as we could on a Saturday morning. Um <laughs> We, 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 were, we probably should have worn uh, sweatpants and uh, T-shirts because we took them a tour at Rose Park and we're in these, we're in these sport jackets <laughs> and slacks. And lo and behold, I didn't realize my baseball team and men's soccer were out there practicing. So our, our coaches were like, well, why is there six people in sport jackets on a Saturday morning out here? But, <laughs> but then, so, so then they, the presidents would report back to, they would probably, you know, and I'm not exactly sure of the timing when they did it, but they would, they would sit in, um, you know, it's like the normal process. We would apply, hey, we're interested in joining the Missouri Valley. They would then call a president's meeting, discuss the opportunity, make a vote, let us know. Then, um, you know, you just kind of figure out, you, you know, you, you work on a memorandum of understanding. And in our case, once we got the news that the Missouri Valley voted to have us in, we met with our athletic committee, board of trust. So that's within the big board, there's about six athletic committee members uh, and they endorsed the idea. And then we went to the executive committee of the board, which is about 10 or 11 in our case, and they endorsed it. And so once that happened, that's when we picked up the phone and made the call to Beth. It, it's, it's fascinating to me because it's kind of like, and I don't want to equate this incredibly important and massive business decision to high school prom, but like you, you, you have to sort of know that the other person's going to say yes. They have to know that you want to be involved too. So it's all while trying to keep it quiet without, because if, because if you decide for whatever reason, either party decides not to go down this path, 
you can't have it getting out that you were you were there. So it's just every step of the process you just described, you get it gets it becomes more and more risky, and you have to know that the marriage is going to work, right? I think that's right. I, I think you have to have a good sense, and uh, you know, there's got to be a level of trust there. And I think in most cases, people understand um, if you don't end up at the altar, how that could be perceived negatively for both sides, right? It, it, it could be for both. It could get out there that, oh, Belmont did their due diligence on the Missouri Valley and they didn't like it. Right. Um, and that couldn't be, that That may be as far from the truth as they didn't see Belmont as a good fit. So I, th I think people in those situations know and respect that level of confidentiality. Where it gets really hard though, is when you when we got to that point and notified our board and had to make the call to the OBC, you're starting to broaden it. And that's where it's just, it's impossible to keep it quiet at that point. Uh, the rumor started leaking out about last week uh, about it. Uh, is that it after you had, you hit, you had already gone to the OBC at that point and it, and it just, at that point, it just becomes a story that can't be controlled. Right. That's what it felt like. I, I don't know where the where the guy got the individual got his source. I don't know if it was a Missouri Valley. I don't know if it was an OVC, um, but we expected it. We were hopeful. Maybe we could make it through the weekend, <laughs> um, but we didn't really come close to that, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> and you know, it just it makes you you know, you know you you again you, you try to do the right thing and you, you you try to notify the people that need to be notified before it gets out. And that could be coaches, staff on our side. That could be, you know, the athletic directors of the Missouri Valley, those things. And so you, you, you try to do it and you, you, and you want to do it the right way. Um, but once it breaks, it's amazing. Everyone just assumed it was accurate. You know, and, and, and so they're like, hey, congrats going to Missouri. I said, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And, you know, why, why do you think it's true? Um, and to the and, and to the credit of the of the of the individual broke it. I mean, good good job on his part. And um, but you know, I, we were wanting to make the press con. We wanted to get a press conference on Tuesday where it could hopefully get the coverage we've gotten. I think that was the right decision. Uh, you know, we've gotten a lot of coverage. We we were thinking about okay, if it's Monday, a lot of local media's Titans focused. Go to Tuesday, less Titans. Um, and so I, I'm glad about that, but it was tough. I mean, I basically had to go dark and Casey and Bart, their phones were blowing up. You know, is it true? What does this mean? Yeah. And so you just stay dark until, until, the, until you can have the press conference. You mentioned, you mentioned long-term, this is a long-term decision. Belmont from when you were Rick Bird's first signing uh, in the eighties, has made a lot of these jumps and to a lot of people's credit, right? To Coach Bird's credit, to Casey's credit, to all the other leadership and all the people in your position. It's been an extraordinary rise over the last three decades. Is it really that long-term if you're going from NAIA to ASUN to OVC to Missouri Valley in less than 30 years? I mean, is that just, I mean, you, is that just people doing amazing work or is that the nature of the NCAA machine and sort of the direction it's heading? You know, that's a good question. I, I think it's a lot of, um, we've been very fortunate. Um, and, and it's just kind of crazy how things have fallen in place for us. I, I don't know. And it's, you know, it, it, it kind of mirrors the growth of Nashville. I mean, that's a huge part of this. The Missouri Valley loved the idea of getting into Nashville. And so, um, and when I say long-term, I, I don't even know how to define that anymore in the NCAA today. <laughs> Um, but, but when we're, the answer was about the financial stuff and, and, and I don't think you make this move with the financial decision of only a three to five year window. I think you gotta, you gotta look, okay, what will this mean? Particularly if, if we can get into the Valley, have the success we hope for and, 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 and the Valley continues to be strong. Um, that's what I was more in, intending, but I, I, Braden, you're right. I mean, I, I sit and I think 35 years ago, I was a freshman playing in a, a Stripling gymnasium, which was barely a, a nice high school gym. We had no weight room. Coach Bird's first year, we were 15 and 15 that first year. And, it, you know, to it, it, you know, God had a hand and has blessed this university, but it, it starts with Coach Bird for sure. 
and what he was able to accomplish. Um, and, and, and really, it actually starts with Bill Trout, when the, the president of Belmont at the time in 1996, when he made the decision to go NAIA to Division One. Who does that? Most go NAIA to Division Two, and then you work your way up to Division One. So, so we we were different right from the start. And um, you know, it's a testament though to the quality. You said it: staff, leadership, coaches, and our student athletes who were one on the court and also did great stuff off the court academically and in the community. And so, yeah, it's, it's hard to, to hard, it's hard to think 10, 20 years from now and in, in what we look like and what that looks like. But, you know, I, I think you've got to, uh, all you can do is, is, is make the best decision based on the information you have on the time today. And, and clearly the Missouri Valley was that for us. Lamestream Sports is brought to you by Jasper's. Almost none of that made it onto the microphone. Wow. <laughs> try that again. No, no. Okay. Okay. Ready? You want, ready? You want to try it again? Okay. Let's do it. Yeah. Ready? Ready? Uh, maybe do it a little quieter and a little further away from the microphone. Lamestream Sports is brought to you by Jasper's. It's like a Christmas. It sounds like a Christmas carol. <laughs> I just could see you holding a little candle, one one candle. I'm standing. I'm standing outside. I'm standing out in front of your uh, in front of your house. I've got I've got like like cue cards up. I don't, it's I don't like know the, why that's the visual. It's like the worst that, love actually rip off you've ever seen. I don't know why that's the visual that stuck in my head because you were like far away and you kind of had your you were like singing to the heavens there. I don't know. Why, I don't know why. I, like oh, Steve's caroling now for Jaspers. That's tremendous. Um, no, look, I would carol oh. for Jaspers. You would? I would. I would go door to door with with Jaspers if we had just, like just singing like, Jaspers songs to people. Well, no, no, no. We'd sing Christmas carols, but we could oh. like you know we could hand out stuff from like the grab and go market. I was immediately trying to come up with how can I write the Jasper's menu items into a holy night in, oh, in, that's, a, in a that classy seemed, way that wouldn't. That seems like people. a lot of work. That seems like way too much work. I feel like you'd also offend some folks if you started, you went door to door and you're like, oh, Creole night. Like, I don't think that's going to. No. I think people will like that very much. No. I mean, uh, we are way off the rails here. Uh, hey, right. go to Jasper's. Go to Jasper's. Great place. Parking is free. Menu is great. Food is awesome. Ambiance is tremendous. If you want to have a lunch with your friends, you know, you want to take a break from that old nine to five, you know, you want to catch, you want to catch a game with your friends, go to Jasper's after the nine to five. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They'll, they'll have a happy hour for you. Some kind of special will be happening and it will be great and it will be real and spectacular. And again, the parking is free. It's very, very free. I'm not sure if we've, I'm not sure if we've covered, you know, in a year of doing this, I'm not sure if we've covered the the parking element enough. I, I, <laughs> I think that may be the thing that people can tell us the most about Jasper's. You know, I've never been to Jasper's, but I hear the parking is free <laughs> and it's spectacular. I when when this is a true story, pulling back the curtain here. When uh, when we first signed our contract with Jasper's, I said to them, "You realize I'm going to put the free parking into every ad that we ever do, right?" <laughs> and, they, and they were like, "Sure, go for it." And I was like, "I'm just telling you, it's a big deal." <laughs> <laughs> awesome so, so there you go go to jasper's where you can park your car and they don't take your money for it it's pretty good it's pretty good it's pretty good uh almost as good as the menu and the people so go to jasper's belmont fairly or unfairly but i think fairly it's perceived as a basketball first school i mean basketball is certainly is certainly the the most visible sport at the school. Uh, both the men's and women's programs have had have had a lot of success. Have been in the tournament, uh, and, and that tournament visibility has has been really has been really vital for a lot of different reasons. Uh, but but at all those stages along the way, whether it's whether it's being an independent or whether it's being uh, in the A Sun or the OVC or now the Valley, you you have to recruit different types of athletes 
within there. When you went to to Casey Alexander and to to, to Bart Brooks, the women's coach, and said, "Guys, we're going to do this." I mean that you just made some strategic decisions for them, and and their and their recruiting over the next five years. Uh, what was what was their sort of reaction? They were very positive on it, and um, you know, to let you in on it, I mean. I went to them before we had even made the final decision because I think it's important to to get some of their feedback to say, all right, what, what, what do you think about this? And so they they were excited about it. I, you know, they understand their competitors, but they also understand, to your point, Steve, I think it's going to help them in recruiting. Uh, and I think it's it's the next logical step in our progression for both of those programs uh, to try to get to that next level and kick down the door and win some games in the NCAA tournament. And, um, you know, so they, they've embraced it now, you know, it's going to be tougher and, you know, they, what's great about all my coaches and, and them particularly is they understand the challenge that's ahead. You know, the, the, the days of going maybe 16 and two in the OVC, um, are going to be tougher in the Missouri Valley, but we may go 12 and six and get to the championship game and get in the tournament and be probably better prepared for the tournament to win a game. And so I think that excites them uh, to know, you know, and again, you know, past success is not a, not a, you know, precursor for, you know, we're going to have a bunch of success. But the Missouri Valley in the last 13 first round games is 12 and one. I mean, you guys probably saw that stat. I mean, that's pretty impressive. And that's not coincidence. That that tells you if you can get to the tournament, you're going to be prepared. You've obviously played a really tough conference schedule. You've obviously gotten to either the conference championship or, you know, won it. That's that means you're ready to go in the NCAA. Well, and it's it's funny. You look at the names in that conference, even even without a couple of that have left recently, you are you see eights and nines next to those guys in the NCAA tournament next to Drake and Northern Iowa. And, you, you know, you're not looking at 14s and 15s. You're, you're looking at at-large bids that don't win their conference championship. And I, and I know that's certainly something you guys have paid uh, a lot of attention to. I'm going to go way outside the box here with you and, and just to get your opinion on this because there there is a – a very loose theory among college football fans that there's going to be this, this power group of things that just sort of breaks away in theory, they could just hold their own basketball tournament in the, in theory. What, what do mid-major athletic directors, presidents, coaches, how, how concerned are you guys about the future health of the NCAA basketball tournament as it is currently constructed 15 years from now? You know, I think there's always a little bit of concern when you're dealing, competing against power five and just the amount of, you know, power and prestige they can have. I, I think where I don't lose a lot of sleep, Braden, is CBS and TBS. Part of what makes March Madness so special and helps them is the underdog story in the tournament. Um, and I think if you take that away and you don't have the Loyola Chicago's, the Wichita States, the George Masons, uh, even those first and second round games, I mean, people tune in to see if the 15 seed can knock off the two seed. And that's only if it's Mercer against Duke. It's not if it's Duke against Auburn and I'm making it up. Right. I mean, that I don't think has near the appeal. And so I, a lot of it is media driven. Let's be honest. I mean, it's, it's a huge TV contract. And, and so unless TBS and CBS feel that there's going to be even more eyeballs watching a power five only NCA tournament, I, you know, I, I think we're okay. Um, but I mean, so much and so much right now in the NCAA is in flux. I mean, you got potential of the Constitution changing. You got, you know, NIL. You've got, 
the Supreme Court ruling, which didn't help the definition of amateurism. So um, there's a lot to, you know, that could keep you up at night. But at the end of the day, I think I, I just think there's such an allure to that March madness that protects it. I could be wrong. I'm not going to put you on the spot here and say you're going to miss going to Martin, Tennessee, or or maybe some other a couple other places here in the OVC. But you guys have had a you guys since you came into the conference have had a rivalry with Murray that is one of the best small college rivalries in the country. Um, is there? Is there, was there any discussion? Have you talked with the Murray folks about this? Uh, and would you want to put them on the schedule uh, once you leave the conference? Yeah, I'd be open to that. I think, I think Casey would. I, I think it would be a good game for both fan bases because you're right, Steve. I mean, it is an awesome rivalry because both teams are so good and their fan base is so passionate. And we've had so many historical games with great finishes and they've had their share. We've had our share. Um, so I think I, it'd be good for college basketball to keep that going. I, I, one of the interesting things to me uh, as a Belmont alum, it, what, coming back, coming into the OVC was seeing that rivalry develop and seeing two fan bases that just really don't like each other. And that's always, that's always an interesting, that's always one of the things that kind of feeds a rivalry. Is is you gotta you know you gotta have your fans mixing it up a little bit. Uh, otherwise, it's just you know it's just it's just a nice afternoon watching basketball. Uh, and those fan bases have have really kind of kind of given it to each other over the years. I mean, all all within kind of good fun. I I think it would be it it'd be I think Murray is the real loser in Belmont leaving in that they 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 seem to be marooned in a in a conference that without. Uh, with without a foil as much. Yeah, I, I can understand that for sure. And uh, yeah, the, it, you know, we were the new kid on the block nine years ago and, and Murray was the, the big dog. And, you know, we kind of came in and, and uh, had some success. So their fan base really doesn't like us for that. And we, we understand that. Um, you know, the only thing I would say is the OVC is still, an, it's an automatic qualifier conference. And those are valuable. And, you know, I, I can't speak for Murray. I, I don't know where where or what they're wanting to do. But, you know, I do think, you know, if the OVC can find some schools, you know, that may – there's still more musical chairs potentially out there, you know, maybe that that that's of interest to Murray and, and that would excite them. But, you know, to your point, Steve, there's nothing that prohibits us from playing Murray on a non-conference schedule. So – you know, um, we'll, we'll see where that plays out, but it, it would be a game. I think both schools should seriously consider keeping the, the football piece of this drives has driven so much of it. Uh, you know, the last year's defections were, were entirely football based. Austin P had expressed that as well. Um, is there, let me put this kind of in two parts. Has there ever been a discussion about Belmont adding football? Uh, and, and secondly, if you're not going to add football, does it, does it change your, your long-term options? Because I mean, and that's, that's to me, it seems to make the problem that the OVC has right now is there, is they're caught in the middle on what they want to do with their football schools versus, uh, versus what their basketball does. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment of the OVC. And, you know, that's when, you know, when we, joined the OVC in, in the nine years, we're the only private school and we're only one of two schools that didn't have football. So, you know, a lot on the front end, it was like, you know, we already looked a little bit odd. And um, to answer your question, no plans to to do football. No, no plans to do football. Just, they got a big soccer stadium right down the street there. Steve, uh, I, I, Steve, are you going to write the check? Are you going to want to be the one that writes the check? Exactly. Now, if you want to write a big old check, maybe we hey, can look, talk. But look, look, I don't think you guys need to add football, but I'm just asking the question. <laughs> I don't think that brand new soccer stadium that let me practice there five days a week. But um, <laughs> no, I think we're very comfortable in, in – 
I got to tell you guys, there, there's a lot of ADs at our level, FCS level, and all that. They they will secretly tell me off off the record. I'm I'm be glad you don't have football. Um, it, it's a different animal. It's um, you know, it's great for a lot of schools, and I get it, and I understand. It's a it's a way to bring your fans, alums, and all that, and your community together on a Saturday, and there's value to that. There is huge value to that for those schools, but. Um, I think we can, I think we can help our university gain a national prominence and help the university get to different markets, and we can do it in basketball. And in, in, in our investment has been in basketball, and it'll continue to be in basketball. Um, in addition to all the other sports we have, but um, I just don't, I don't quite because I don't have football. I'll be honest, I don't quite understand the movements at the FCS level and, and what they're ultimately going to accomplish at the end of the day. Um, and even those schools that are FBS that are, you know, you know, not in the power five, I, I just think it's, um, th- there's, there's obviously reasons they're doing it. I, I just not, not having it, not seeing the numbers and understanding all that. I, I have a hard time seeing, um, uh, seeing, where where are you really adding to the university? It's 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 riding the tiger. That that is that is for sure. <laughs> There's no question about it. Uh, all right. Well, congratulations on on the news. Uh, obviously, a huge move for the university alumni, the city, all that stuff. It's an excellent basketball conference, and I guess we'll see you in the Big East in about nine years. Okay. <laughs> Uh, there, there you go, Braden. I, I, if you can see that far ahead, uh, let's go get some Powerball tickets. <laughs> Scott, congratulations, man. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, and uh, best of luck in the future. I really appreciate it, guys. Enjoyed it. Thanks. That was Belmont Athletic Director Scott Corley sort of explaining to everybody how this conference realignment thing happens, in particular, obviously, at the mid-major level. A huge move for Belmont to end up in the Missouri Valley. I think he explained it. I think everybody knows it's pretty obvious that it is a vast upgrade in terms of basketball prestige and opportunity for Belmont. It makes a ton of sense. And um, it just uh, just an actual, just a literal rocket ship over there just south of downtown Belmont University has been for the last 30 years. Amazing trajectory. So last spring, Belmont goes 26 and four. Uh, they had a, they, they won, they won their preseason tournament supposed to be elsewhere they they because of covid they had to they had to bring it back to the mainland they they had they had a perfect at large kind of kind of bid sort of season and didn't get not only did they not get a sniff but because of the way that they altered the other tournaments uh they didn't get into uh they didn't even get into the the nit and so I, I think that was if you're if you're Scott Corley and you're looking you're looking at things and you're saying okay this is it this is a year for us where we should be playing postseason ball and we're not the the conference is a major part of that and Scott's been very uh, diplomatic about the OVC but the OVC at this point is a drag on Belmont's aspirations and the Valley if you if you go to if you go to one of my favorite sites, uh, which is Ken Pomeroy's site, he has a ranking of all of the all of the conferences that are eligible for the NCAA tournament. The Valley's tenth, and the OVC is twenty second. That that's I, I'm not even sure you need all of the calculus about yeah. travel costs, about anything else, because that right there is the reason you do it. Yeah, and it, it is as a Belmont alum. I mean, I I don't. I don't try to hide my my love for for the school and for the and, and for you know what the the basketball program has built over the years. It, it it is it is absolutely infuriating and and I'm I'm sorry if you follow me on Twitter in March and <laughs> hear me bitching about the about the 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 NCAA selection committee and what those fucking morons uh, use as a calculus for uh, hmm. for for who should be in the tournament. But schools like Belmont make the tournament better. And, and, you know, by throwing in the, by throwing in the eighth or ninth or 10th team from a, from a power conference, it adds nothing to the tournament. Who, who cares about a, who cares about a, a 19 and 17, you know, power, you know, power player. I mean, I don't know, pick, pick, pick 
Virginia Tech. Yeah. I mean, who who cares who cares whether or not they get in the tournament? But if, if Belmont gets in and upsets someone, it is absolutely dynamite television. And the more David and Goliath sort of matchups that you have in the early rounds of the tournament makes for makes for a much better uh, a much better viewing experience. Well, I I am, and he explained a lot of it there about you know, the, who's in the room making the decision, right? And and you can kind of you can kind of take what he explained and sort of scale that out to all of these different decisions over the last 10 years in college football in particular with Nebraska and Colorado and TCU and Utah and Texas A&M and Missouri and now Texas and Oklahoma. There's a lot more data on the sheet <laughs> when they have to make those decisions. There's a lot more people at the table, but the calculus isn't all that different. Um, it's just a different sport. And so again, I am... Maybe I'm a sick and twisted individual, but I am just utterly fascinated by the courtship process between schools and conferences and how it happens and how it takes place. And uh, again, Belmont has been a, an absolute rocket ship for the last 35 years, 30 years. And so it, it's it, it all and a lot of it is the presidents, too. Um, this is the case across the board. These presidents make these decisions, you know, big, big football or mid-major basketball. The presidents make these decisions and you have to have the right people with the right vision in the right places to, to have that sort of rocket ship trajectory that Belmont's got. I, I find it fascinating that, that, you know, the Valley had come to them a couple of times and Bob Fisher, who was the previous president had said, no, you know, Fisher has been called kind of informally around, uh, around campus has been called Bob the builder just for like the, the sheer number of buildings and schools that have been added to, you know, the campus over there on Wedgwood. And the, the I am, I'm surprised that Fisher never, wanted to take that leap to, to the Valley. I mean, that, that seems, you know, kind of, kind of right in line with, with what he wanted to do, what he wanted to do and kind of expanding Belmont's footprint. It's fascinating to me that Greg Jones comes in as the new president and is all of a sudden, as all of a sudden, yes, that's on the table. Let's take a look at it. Let's go. Yeah. And, and the Valley would have been even stronger the farther back you go, (laughs) like every, I mean, mean? and and it's it's still very, very strong right now, but you know, yeah. f- five years ago, 10 years ago, and I'm not suggesting that that's when they came to Belmont or whatever, but 10, 10 years ago, you're talking about Creighton and, <laughs> and Wichita state. And well, the bones of the big East were, were, were right. formed out of the Valley and a couple and right. a couple of other places, but some and, really, really good basketball programs, Southern Illinois, Bradley, Drake, Northern Iowa, Loyola, Chicago, Illinois state. I mean, there's good basketball programs still in that conference. It is significantly better than the OVC. And that is why you do it. So there you have it. Scott Corley, appreciate his time. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did because, I, like I said, I don't know if I've mentioned this, I'm obsessed with it. So, so it is. We get like, it, it is literally it. my favorite subject in all of college sports. I don't know why. All right, ratings and recommendations. We'll get to recommendations here in just a second. Ratings: your Colton, your Coltons, Colton Sissons, uh, Colts Titans game, uh, number one in your hearts this week. A 24.0 rating. Again, all of these courtesy of Mark Binda of News Channel 5. Each rating point is equivalent to about 11,000 TV homes in the Nashville market. Number two, Bucks Rams. That's an NFC Championship game preview right there. Uh, Bucks Rams 13.0. Packers Niners. That was a always Sunday fun night to, game. Always fun to see Brady lose, isn't it? Uh, uh, yeah, especially now that he plays for Tampa. Uh, yeah. I, never, I actually hate him. I, I didn't think you could hate Tom Brady more, but as a Packers fan, when he be, when he moved to Tampa and then beat Green Bay in the NFC Championship game, I actually I actually increased my hatred for Tom Brady. Um, speaking of the Packers, uh, number three Packers Niners, twelve point six, pretty solid there on a Sunday uh, on a Sunday night, I believe. And then SEC football, Tennessee Florida, a ten point six. So Tennessee now two different times has creeped into the top five. So uh, you know we'll, we'll keep an eye on that as they continue to go and maybe. Man, maybe- I want to see first half versus second half numbers on that game. Yeah, that would be interesting. Very, very competitive first half and deep into the third quarter. Let's that was that was a that's why that number is over 10. Uh, and then Lions Packers, of course, from I believe the Monday night before uh, number five on the list, 9.1 rating. Um, so there you go. Again, this is going to be a lot of the, the NFL stuff, but I, I am interested when the college games pop in there, what they are and how well do they do. That's two times now Tennessee is out of four been in the top five, which is good news for Josh Heupel and for Tennessee fans. Despite the losing, <laughs> I, I was interested. I was interested to see like five points come off of that, uh, off of that Titans number week to week, uh, and I'd be interested long term in the difference between 
between an early slot game and a late slot game and kind of like what the potential audience is because the Seattle game the week before in the late window uh, peaked out, I think at 29, like 29, five yeah, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Colts was a divisional game and it topped out a, a divisional game, a close game uh, and one that, and one that they ended up winning and it, you know, it, it pulled a 24. I, I just, I, I, I think that's interesting. Overtime the week before the later window i always it's it's interesting i i like the noon window better than the 330 window actually uh, as a fan because that the end of those 330 games creep into like family time <laughs> when we're doing like dinner and bath and you know that kind of stuff so i i actually much rather watch the noon to 3 window this is, so see, i don't this know if is, that's no, i don't know if that's normal or not see see this is the function of you having kids and me not ah, because okay. <laughs> because we I, I would prefer the titans in the late window okay because uh, then you get to watch like eight red zone games all at one time. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that's true. And and it's that's just spectacular. What is it? What is it like to have that kind of time on your hands, Steve? It's, you it's, tell. It, it's awesome. It's awesome. Shut up. <laughs> just shut up. Uh, all right, let's get to uh, recommendations this week on the show. I, I did something that I don't normally do this week. I, I found so I was watching Ted Lasso the, the second season with with my wife on Apple, and so she falls asleep as 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 she does all the time, uh, like right at the end of the, the episode we're watching. So I always finish the episode, and then I'm always like, all right, now what am I going to watch? Because it's nine fifteen, <laughs> and I don't go to bed at nine fifteen. So I started the morning show. Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon, Steve Carell, uh, the and guy- most importantly, a very game Billy Crudup. Oh yes. And who's the guy from the league that's the executive producer of the show? Um, is it Mark du- Duplass or du- uh, Mark Duplass, who Duplass? plays? Who he's plays. From, he's from the league. Yeah, I want to say he's like the entire creator and writer of the with Nick Kroll on the league. Anyway, I'm a big league fan. Uh, if you want to go watch a second recommendation, go watch the league as well. Very different show than than the morning show. I just thought it was. I, I binged like four or five straight episodes in one night, which was a terrible life decision because I went to bed at like 1 a.m. and have been exhausted every day, every day since. But it's 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 so well done. And I think it takes you behind the scenes of what there's some media conflict in there between the two main hosts sort of at their core. They have different media philosophies. I think it shows you the tension and the stress that is put on all of these different characters when you get that high up into the broadcasting world as to what sort of like stress and pressures that, that you're under and that how that affects your content. I, I think it's a really, really well done show. I haven't finished the first season yet. I'm about six or seven episodes in. I think it's really good. Uh, I will probably finish it uh, Thursday or Friday evening of this week, <laughs> depending on what time my kids go to bed. So I'm, I'm just very good. I think it's a very good look into the business. And obviously it's very close to home for me. So this is based off of, I mean, the, the impetus for this was the, the option, uh, Brian Stelter's book about morning television. Uh, Brian Stelter's media writer for, used to be at the New York Times. Now he's at CNN. And Stelter's, Stelter's reporting around like particularly, particularly like the Matt Lauer stuff at the Today Show is, 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 part, of the, is part of what guides some of the narrative thread in there. The, the, the Steve Carell character is very much like a Matt Lauer character who is seemingly popular, but there's some dark stuff that's going on behind the scenes and him getting run off in the, uh, you know, getting fired here in the initial episode is what kicks off sort of the, the Reese Witherspoon, Jennifer yeah. Aniston relationship. And, and so there's, there's like this underdog story. There's this media story. There's the me too story involved. There's a lot of different threads that run through it, which I appreciate. I also think that there's another set of relationships on the within the show that I think actually does the best job of trying to touch on or weave through or get get in between sort of the nuances of the Me Too situation. If that makes any sense, because yep. I think that there are there's like different layers, and I think Steve Carell's character is trying, and he thinks he's part of like this nuanced layer of. <laughs> Of and, the he is not. and he is not <laughs> and so i think they do a good job of showing you sort of the two different examples of this is probably acceptable behavior over here and this is definitely not <laughs> so, so and crudup uh, comes in as the showrunner um, or the executive producer uh and i can't i can't oversell how much he just chews through every scene he's he's in when Crudup's in a in a different in a different multiverse. Billy Crudup becomes like the biggest film actor in the world, and <laughs> and, and but he he never wanted that. And so like, 
if you want to, uh, I'll make this a recommendation here real quick. Uh, go back and listen to uh, James Miller's uh, podcast series. It's called Origins. He did a he did a uh, thing around the uh, the almost famous twenty year anniversary last year, and had had a lot of talks with Billy Crudup about this. And you know, Crudup was more interested in in picking like great roles and doing theater and, and, and so forth. But, you know, Crudup was, was the, was the star of that movie and should have, you know, should have been the next, you know, Bradley Cooper or whatever, you know, you know, pick, pick one of your big serious uh, actor is and, and just never was. And so now that he, now that he's aged into some of these roles, he's really interesting to kind of come in from the, from the side here and just, I mean, he owns almost every scene he's in. He's great. He is absolutely fantastic. Yes, he he is spectacular in in this show, uh, and and does it with like this ridiculous smile on his face at all the time. Such serious topics and with this huge smile, and it's like, oh my god, you're perfect for this this character. Um, all right, that's my recommendation. I will finish it, and uh, I have not had a show where I just stayed up for like five straight hours, be, you know, past bedtime. That hasn't happened in a while, so had to recommend it on the on the show this week. What you got? Uh- uh, so my recommendation, I have two, uh, I have two articles uh, you should read. Uh, the first is an, uh, is an opinion piece by Margaret Wrinkle. Uh, Margaret is a, is a writer who lives here in Nashville. Uh, she also has a couple of books out. She has a new book out uh, called Graceland at Last, Notes on Hope, Heartache, and uh, Hope and the Heartache from the American South. Uh, she's an essayist. Her last book is great. You can pick that up too. It's called Late Migrations. Margaret has, Margaret just has such a great, feel and touch for a story and for finding a way into uh, a really hard, uh, a really hard subject. She has a, she has a piece uh, that's in the, uh, that's in the times uh, this week called when medical ethics collide with basic fairness. And she's weighing out who gets treatment and who doesn't at what times when our hospitals become overrun with people who are unvaccinated and, and, and sick with COVID-19 it's a fascinating kind of, and it's kind of, kind of balancing test. I, I don't want to spoil any of it. Go read, go read the essay. It's very good. It's not, you know, I, when you, when you say essay, it's a column, it, it's not, you know, 10,000 words. Right. Right. Um, please go read it. It's great. The other piece of it is in 180 degrees, the different, different direction. Uh, if you've ever read the, if you've ever read the column Savage Love, which is uh, Dan Savage's longtime sex column, that uh, it appears in most alt weeklies. I don't think I don't think it's ever been in the scene, but you, you know it, it's all over the. You can find it all over the internet. He's based, he's a Seattle based editor and writer, and has written the sex the sex column for years. Uh, I had to edit it when I was the editor of the <laughs> of the Washington City paper, and it was the thing that made me blush almost every week he's because it's best. very explicit. He's, he's the and, best man, <laughs> and it's very it, it's very frank. Uh, there's an article in Slate, and the headline on it is. Dan Savage revolutionized sex, then the revolution came for him. And it talks, to, he, they talked to Savage about 30 years of writing a sex column in an age where the mores around sexuality have changed in good and bad ways and what's permissible and what's not. And, and he goes through and he talks about like the bad advice he has given over the years. Uh, and interesting. And, 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 and what he would, you know, what he would change and, and how he views sexuality and how he views uh, monogamy, how he views, uh, you know, just this, this wide range of topics. He's a fascinating guy. If you've ever read the column, of, uh, then, then you're going to want to read this piece. And even if you're not familiar with it, go read it anyway. It's in Slate. It is, it is just a heck of an interesting read. He, I believe he just had a hump film festival in Nashville. Did he not? Yeah, that's a that's a that's a that's a regular thing. That, okay. that that's a that's like a annual. I just, want to, I just want to give people an idea of yeah the titles of the things that he does. Yeah, um, <laughs> a, hump, a hump film festival. <laughs> that's uh, but, but but Savage is I've I've got a friend uh, I've got a friend who used to work for him loves him says he's just says he's just the you know uh, just the greatest guy uh, and he is he is one of the more interesting and independent individual writers that you'll ever find 
No question about it. Uh, love all of his work and sort of all of the different ways that he does it in the myriad of ways. And yes, um, not for the faint of heart. Uh, no, 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 no. no question about that. Nothing about him is for the faint of heart. That's for sure. All right. So there's your ratings. There's your recommendations. Congratulations to Belmont on making it to the Missouri Valley Conference and Scott Corley. Thank you to him for joining us, of course. Uh, Steve, Lamestream Sports is brought to you by? Brought to you by Jaspers. Always brought to you by Jaspers. Jaspers. Parking is free. The food is great. You'll never have a bad time. The people are nice. And you can order a cocktail named after one of my podcasts. What more do you want? There you have it. Go to not, Jaspers. Not this, not this podcast, but... Well, a podcast. We discussed it last week. It doesn't lend itself. We, we've, we've tried hard to get that, that thing named, and it just isn't going to happen. Steve Cavendish, people can follow you where? At Scavendish on Twitter and Instagram. Instagram if you want to see, you know, photos of tomato plants. There you have it. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on the Twitters at Braden Gall, at 440 Sports on Twitter and Facebook as well. Thanks to Scott. Thanks to you, Steve. Thanks for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe, share, unsubscribe, resubscribe, all that great stuff. This has been Lamestream Sports on the 440 Sports Network.